Hey y'all, it's Scorpio season, it's been a minute, and between the election madness, still being under a pandemic, it is a time to be alive, but I'm super excited about today's guest. Um, I feel like we've been trying to make this happen all year, <laughs> <laughs> so true. thanks for taking the time a whole last week before elections. Um, today I'm joined by Phil Agnew, hey. Hey, hey, what a time to be alive. <laughs> it's very ironic that you that you um, said that. I just moderated a um, discussion yesterday, and that was the theme. I offered the theme, but I do think it's an incredible time to be alive. Yeah. I was just sharing with you, like, before we started recording, that uh, not only has it been a year, and not only is it a time to be alive, but I feel like you particularly have had a year that we've all sort of been observing mad publicly very visibly so <laughs> yeah. um yeah. tell me you know in the beginning of this year you were um you were one of the surrogates for the bernie sanders campaign and mm -hmm. then actually ended up becoming the senior advisor like three weeks yeah <laughs> i feel like me and everyone i know knows where they were at when they got that news i was like when I, you know, I got like multiple texts and it's like, yo, Phil is a senior advisor. I was like, no, no, no. I need to see the link. I want to see the link. <laughs> yeah. Not because I didn't trust you and your capacity and your vision, but mm -hmm. just because I couldn't, I couldn't believe what was actually unfolding in real mm -hmm. time in front of our eyes. Mm -hmm. Take me back a little bit to, to that moment <laughs> earlier this year. <laughs> <laughs> it was it's such a crazy year that's it that seems so far in my rear view mm -hmm. um and that's kind of how my life has gone a little bit i kind of do these course corrections that are, are kind of extreme and this year forced a lot of them but i remember that that moment and that time and i'll try to make it brief but i'm gonna go even deeper into the story because it was an interesting three or four days for me so um i joined the campaign because i thought that it was an incredible strategic opportunity to popularize leftist ideas mm -hmm. on the net on the national level i don't think that he is and his campaign represented the fullness of my politics at all or how far left i would have been but i did think hey person running for president talking about being a socialist democratic socialist but talking about being a socialist popularizing these ideas hey maybe me with um, my my gifts and my love for talking to people and organizing can help to expand that group who are listening to him so i, I and and i knew the deputy campaign manager renee spellman so i dm'd her and she was like <laughs> i was like yo i remember i said how can i be down and she said really a million ways i guess i had cultivated a personality to her that she wouldn't believe that i wanted to do anything so with the with the campaign so i joined and it was an incredible experience and I wouldn't take it back at all. Even if in four, eight years, you know, I, you know, I don't know, I become even more of a leftist and hate all electoral politics, I still wouldn't take that away. And um, there were a number of times that Nina Turner specifically, who was a national co-chair, a major surrogate and, and a guiding reason why I felt at home at times on the campaign. She asked me, why don't you join the staff? Because I'm not a, as a surrogate, you're not paid. You don't make decisions. I'll give them some credit. They, at some point, realized what they had on their hands by way of me being an organizer, being able to go to a city and be like, oh yeah, I could call this person. Do y'all need some help? <laughs> like, yeah, you need a barbershop? Okay, I could figure that out. Mm -hmm. And so at some point they did begin to listen to me more, but I had no decision-making power 
and no role in the infrastructure of note. And they asked me a number of times to join the, the join to join the staff. Um, Senator Turner did. I got to give her a lot of credit. Renee did as well. And I always said no. And do you want to know why I said no? The funniest reason? I said I don't want to be on conference calls all day. That and now look at my life. <laughs> but I was like, <laughs> all of our lives, yeah. But I said no. I just can't imagine spending a whole day on conference calls. I'm enjoying just going around the country, talking to people. And at some point. Slight, you know, a little bit before the news became public, Senator Turner and uh, some some other folks on the campaign team said, "How about as a senior advisor?" Mm. And humility is a trait that I've <laughs> attempted to cultivate, but that was quite appealing to me. That's you a, know? That's a promotion. Like, <laughs> yeah, I said, <laughs> "Oh, okay, that 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 sounds good." So I did accept, and uh, they announced it about you know maybe four days later. And it was uh, one of the happiest moments uh, of my of my of my little life. I felt very proud um, yeah. in that moment, not because I worked my whole life to do this, but honestly because I was just like just showing up. You know what I'm saying? And they were like, "We need you to be a senior advisor." I'm like, "Okay, whatever." You know, uh, all I do is wear hoodies and just you know do this thing. And so I was excited and. Um, I was under no pretense that I would be in the inner circle, and I wasn't. And they never told me that I would be, to be clear. I didn't have a, um, deep conversations, you know, those pictures you see in the room huddle. <laughs> I was never a part of any of those circles. I never was told that I would be either. Um, so, I don't know, take for, what, take for that what you will. And um, it was an interesting, interesting experience. The thing I do want to draw out is within nine hours of me being named senior advisor a woman in the british parliament or that's what her twitter said oh, found wow. some tweets of mine mm. from 2009 and yeah. so very soon after i was named senior advisor very very excited mom dad brothers people who didn't even know what a senior advisor was were really <laughs> excited for me um some tweets about some horrible things that i said about michelle obama came out and uh within 12 hours of it being the happiest moment of my life i fully understood the power of social media to make you want to end it all yeah. <laughs> i was incredibly embarrassed and ashamed and i did say those things and i did think those things when i said them which was also embarrassing um and then within a number of hours people who have known me since i've been an organizer who have seen me evolve i saw them come out in support of me yeah. And so that was, I, I'm, yeah, I know it's a long kind of thing, but that moment of being named a surrogate, um, being embroiled in a scandal, I guess, mm -hmm. and then um, seeing the support of, of my real friends and the people around me, including and maybe especially Dream Defenders, it really felt good. And so from Saturday when it was announced to Sunday night, I went on this crazy roller coaster and I was in Mississippi also where... He had just canceled a speaking engagement in front of a group of black people. And so I was just, it was crazy. I can't believe it even happened this year. I definitely can't believe it happened to me, but I was excited and uh, it lasted for about three weeks because that's how long the campaign lasted from right. that point. Ooh, I, <laughs> sorry. No, fam, I feel you. I, I, I you know. I don't want to get into it here, but, you know, I, I went through a similar experience this summer with, with Fempower. And, <laughs> you know, it is, it, it really, 
it not only humbles you but it terrifies you you know mm -hmm. i was i was scared it mm -hmm. was i was like i'm really scared to my bones like mm -hmm. these people mm -hmm. how they feel about our politics is it's not casual it's At really all. serious and but you know on the flip side seeing comrades from all over the country being hitting me up yo if you need a place to stay we got you you know, people that I had maybe, you know, met in some meetings and like kicked it with, but like they were there and seeing so many people be like, nah, these are people that I know that I have been with outside of jails. Like these are people that are the real deal. That's kind of like, I think what makes all of the nonsense worthwhile. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, I, I totally, <laughs> and I, I know, you know, all, I can't even imagine through a different level too. And we, yeah. like you said, maybe not get into it, but you know, my my skirt fluffle was uh some things i actually said some, some things i needed to be accountable for i didn't believe or think at now i couldn't even believe i said it mm. but um you all you know the the you all went through something that uh was different in 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 that um your views your politics are entirely justifiable and just you know and mine was you know that was silly right. so you're, yeah, it, it, it has to, to be persecuted in that way consistently and so locally, you know, yeah. so locally where any, you know, you could have been at a gas station or a red light yeah. or somewhere and somebody could have said something. I had that level of detachment from mine because mm -hmm. it was just a bunch of trolls who didn't know me from anybody. But this, you know, I am, I'm sorry that y'all had to go through that and had the chance to talk to some of your comrades too. Yeah, oof, Miami is, um, as some of us would call it, a reactionary paradise. That is yes. exactly a paradise. what it is. Wow, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> that is yes. Zayna's words, um, <laughs> for the record. But, yeah. yeah, it has been a year, and, you know, I think we definitely could get into, like, the mental health impact of, of being in those positions of just too hyper-visibility and, and the expectation of when you are in these hyper-visible roles mm -hmm. and when people identify you as a leader. Um, but before all of that, I, you know, I, I feel like, you know, coming out of the Bernie camp, I'm sure you had a lot of opinions about what happened when the Democratic establishment coalesced mm -hmm. to protect, um, you know, sort of their establishment anchor, Joe Biden. Mm -hmm and create this barrier, you know, from the progressive camp moving forward. Um, now that we're, you know, it's been, it's been a while, you know, this was before the uprising really kicking off, and, you know, it, the amount of, of hot takes and graphics and content and, oh, yes. and the push of, of opinions um, that has come out subsequently because of all of this is mm -hmm. quite frankly overwhelming it is and also concerning right i think concerning for people like us who are organizers who are trying to be rooted in a tradition of slow and steady work right mm -hmm. um and being constant praxis mm -hmm. and i'm curious for you kind of from your own positionality you know being the senior advisor even if it was just for three weeks but being the senior advisor for them form you know having been formally a surrogate traveling across the country on behalf of bernie's campaign and then seeing how the establishment did what they did you know seeing an, uh, an uprising unfold that was also asking for really radical abolitionist demands that you know you and i are rooted in but also seeing the media and celebrities commodify what defund the police means mm -hmm. 
kind of where where are you where are you at right now in trying to interpret all of this and what is necessary for us to kind of stay rooted and not get distracted and, and fall into an amnesia mm-hmm. that's a great question um at the beginning of this you kind of mentioned that you know i've been going through a lot of these different transformations very publicly and um one thing that i've cultivated um which i think took time is i don't i don't feel that way and i don't see myself in that way i don't feel especially this year um under any urgency to move at anyone's pace to post at anyone's pace um to offer things to anybody at any other pace than what i personally or politically feel is 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 important and i think whatever spirits of the universe for being able to give me that gift this year fully um so 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 in 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 saying that the thing that has given me sanity this year is exactly what you're talking about that slow and steady building and that has taken the form of two projects that i've been involved with pretty much since well one since before i was still work i was working on black men build since with other brothers and sisters since june of 2019 so during the bernie campaign and i knew that i would always land there no matter where bernie went and then um after the bernie campaign i re-engaged with dream defenders and both of those projects dream defenders being a conversation around frankly expansion of the organization um, or at least the ability of the organization to organize nationally and dream and black men build which is starting something new building a new thing both with the previous experience of both the Bernie campaign and Dream Defenders in my kind of ammunition, my tool belt. And so this year I found a lot of sanity in being able to help build something and help expand something very, very deliberately and really based on not an external nonprofit or social media hot take or whatever something is big. And this takes, a, this actually has taken a lot of work um, for example, Black Men Build coincidentally launched maybe a week after um, Sister Toyin, Toyin in Tallahassee was murdered. Black Men Build launched maybe a day or so after some footage was shared online of a group of black men um, chasing a trans person and beating them in a corner store or something. And this is, and I'm bringing this up to be fully vulnerable and transparent, but also to underscore my point around just trying to build slow. We were under a considerable amount of pressure when we were launching, because it wasn't a secret, we've been working with people, uh, to acknowledge, to, to, to maybe even switch the way we were launching to acknowledge the, the very justifiable anger right now around black women, black queer folks, black trans folks, um, other identities feeling that black men are increasingly becoming the enemy um, if, if, if not already are seen as the enemy to many folks and we didn't do that and I had a number of conversations with comrades and people did not think that was smart and my 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 and our and I do feel justified in it and I'll say why because also I make sure in my personal politics and what I do I make sure I talk about those things but we were building an organization with a specific purpose to reach a specific segment of people who don't understand any of the things that we're talking about or don't like 
any of the things we're talking about in the movement. And so we had to be clear about our purpose and frankly to honor that the last four or five months we had developed and studied and researched like how we wanted to land and that our launch was a product of that. And I'm saying all of this to say that we have to, one of the central books that I've read five or six times this year that Rachel Gilmer gave me is a short book um, called The Awesome Responsibilities of Revolutionary Leadership by Grace and um, Grace Lee and James Box. And in it, she talks about the necessity of leadership, revolutionary leadership. And what I think, even though they don't say that explicitly, is that leaders have to know what time it is and know when the times and the moments, the places and the conditions call for particular actions. And those should only be dictated by your goals, what you want to see and what you want to do for the betterment of the world, not selfishly, and by the conditions as you see them. And I think in the last few years, we've veered towards so much this fetishization of uh, leaderless or no one's a leader, no one is bigger or better than anyone else, and no one has more power than anybody else, which is really a lie. There's always power. There are always leaders that just hide themselves in, in this kind of non-hierarchical stuff. Most of the time, it's a lie. 90% of the time, it's a lie. And so we need more people who are, re- who are prepared to take on the power and the awesome responsibility of leadership, which requires you not to respond to those things on social media all the time, which res- requires you to give maybe eight-minute-long answers to things that maybe could be two. But but you are concerned with making sure that not only that you are understood, but that all of the different things that come to a decision are understood by your people. Um, Not so they like you more, but at least they say, okay, he, he, she, they have some sort of standard that goes into this decision and I can respect that. Yeah, this this is really affirming because I think I, I definitely feel the pressure sometimes to be in this immediate response, right? Because I think how we're trained is to think if leaders are unable to or unwilling to provide immediate responses, then they're not apt to be a leader. Mm. And I, you know, it's put me in some situations where, you know, it's with people I love and comrades, and but having to to name that and be like, no, we also need to have a respect for process, right? Um, we need to have a respect for capacity because in this in this moment, you know, what y'all or, or what sometimes folks are asking of you is not exactly what the time, place, and conditions are asking for. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's there's a lot, again, a lot, a lot of hot takes. That's just gonna be my phrase of the year because mm-hmm. it's what I'm seeing um, around, yeah, leaderless, but then people, those same folks sometimes are unwilling to step into a protagonistic role. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, okay, you know, sometimes when you I ask that. folks, yeah. <laughs> when That's I ask right. folks, I'm like, I, I'm hearing, I'm hearing you. Like, I'm there with you. We need to start thinking, what are some proposed next steps? Like, mm-hmm. I need, like, I can commit to supporting you and making that a reality, but I, you know, it's this constant idea that leaders, the folks that we call leaders, the folks that we look up to, the folks that have certain positions in organizations or collectives, kind of have like this endless well of knowledge and of wisdom. Mm. And 
and yeah, I think that's that's frustrating and it's not true, right? I think people right. are struggling, experimenting, being in praxis, trying to study, try things out. But in that process, I mean, I'm like, I don't have the answers to all these things that sometimes I'm being asked about. But what I do want is to know that you have a commitment to this project, that you have a commitment to this vision, to this goal. And by me, like, the, it's not just saying that, like, I need you to show me too. Um, but yeah, this is really affirming. You know, I think you're definitely an organizer thinker I look up to a lot. So to kind of be oh, affirmed that I'm like, okay, the shit I'm going through, yeah, that's the shit we're gonna go through. <laughs> yeah, well, great leaders have a lot of questions. Mm. Not a lot of answers. They know what questions to ask. And sometimes they know when to say, I do not know, which is, I, I am good at that. I know it in Spanish too. <laughs> <laughs> like, I do not know. and. I do feel pressure as a male, as the oldest child, you know, I feel pressure to have answers for sure. I do feel personally, I beat myself up for not um, having answers sometimes. But the great people that maybe some of us look up to, Lennon and Mao and, you know, Fidel and Thomas Sankara and, you know, these are Lenny, these people were great leaders because they also were scientific and they predicted when certain moments would happen. And I think that's a, a skill set that requires not to always be in motion. You have to be able to sit and think and be talk to the people and be with the people and be of the people and be human. But they the the great thinkers or the great leaders before us were able to see the contradictions and able to insert themselves into very specific moments when they felt that the contradictions were unreconcilable and, and that could be seen by the people and that another answer, a new common sense could be built. Yeah. So I think leaders do require, and I about very much value this year. Um, I don't use the word privilege a lot because I think we just overuse it, but I do feel a certain level of privilege that I have had the time and space to be in my living room by myself mm. for many months and help to start and help to help an organization pretty much remotely. And as much public as it may seem like I am, I have not gone anywhere for like three or four or five months. I went to one protest this whole year. Yeah. And that's what I decided my role was gonna be. And I feel not affirmed, but I don't feel that I did the wrong thing or guilty about it. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that pace pace over a sense of co continuous urgency with no grounds is going to be really key for all of us, right? Not just mm -hmm. from now to November 3rd. You know, we know this shit goes beyond that. But, yeah, I appreciate all of those reflections. I'm, like, sitting with a lot of that. I'm probably going to be sitting with it for the rest <laughs> of the day. Like, damn, that's true. <laughs> um, I think, you know, something you brought up is... Um, sort of feeling pressure right and making these decisions around that and how you navigate those pressures i know for me and i think social media contributes to this in an egregious way right like mm -hmm. the anxiety the the pressure the sort of need to kind of like constantly output or justify like what you're doing what are you not doing that you know i've from what i've observed from you this year i think you've been sort of leaned into a more vulnerable open side of you kind of really embracing like that softness and the nuance and and the contradictions that we all hold and how we show up um, and why we show up the ways that we do 
that I'm I would love to hear kind of how how's that journey looking for you right and I, I don't know if it's one of the impetus for black men build but yeah offering people a, a real real-time vision of of the totality and the fullness of how a cis black man can exist in this society that isn't so narrow that isn't so defined mm -hmm. well this year has been very difficult um you know my uh, uh a long-term my long-term relationship ended this year and i was the the uh catalyst for that um I turned 35 and feel no closer to kind of finding or I felt no closer felt no closer to finding some of the essential answers that I always thought I would have by 35 mm -hmm. 35 even me saying it feels so old to me I just remember being 25 20 28 like 30 by 35 I'm gonna be blank 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 Mm. And so none of those things um, occur, and I basically soured or blew up a big part of what could have been a part of, um, you know, what 35 could have been for myself. So, um, and then in March or April, I was I had an evening, two evenings where I went to the bathroom a lot more usual, more than usual. So I went to I didn't even go to the doctor. I went to like a Quest at Diagnostics and found out that I was pre-diabetic and high cholesterol and high um, blood sugar and blood pressure. And yeah, uh, all of this stuff began to converge on me and uh, upon um, my relationship uh, really ending um, in the house by myself. And I'm like, dang, you've done it now you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. you've really you've really done it now so i was forced i mean honestly i've probably been forced into most of this the the essential decisions in my life uh i was like forced to face myself and realize who i am and realize who i become and um i've been in therapy um, for many months now great great sister down in south florida and um i also couple all of that it's not all sour but i couple all of that with i've always just wanted to be happy and mm -hmm. i never really knew how to make myself happy other than to buy shoes which i do still enjoy <laughs> um <laughs> uh to do movement work mm -hmm. and so those two things and other things but you know I'm, I, those things made me happy but I never really had experience in many years not since I could remember waking up naturally happy divorced from something coming in the mail or something with the movement or work that I was doing or maybe a little social media endorphins so um, this year I just committed I committed to really meeting that goal of being happy and, and trying to become a reservoir of happiness that wasn't attached to anything else. And I began to embrace aloneness and solitude. And I began to be more vulnerable and admit things to myself that I never admitted about things 
that and things the way the way the way that I am, the way that I was, and decide which of those things I wanted to not be and other things that I didn't want to be so mean to myself about. Mm-hmm. And um, conversely, um, or parallel to that, I am helping to start this organization, Black Men Build, and literally every single other brother who is a part of the core team of making this thing happen is going through the same thing I'm going through. (laughs) People are breaking up with their partners. People are crying when they didn't know why and it's just happening on Zooms. Um, People are saying, yo, I don't think I've ever been a good lover because I just didn't even know what that was about. Like, I'm having random conversations with brothers and they're crying or saying like, yo, boom, 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 this is going on, boom, boom. And at some point you gotta recognize that it's just not a coincidence that there's something in the air or in the water. And so Black Men Build has really become, it wasn't a product of that epiphany or those epiphanies that I was forced into, but it definitely was a, um, a home for it. And I'm most excited about Black Men Build because I do think that we are gonna play a a role, I don't know about small or large, in helping to construct a new man. And that gives me so much joy because I know how I was programmed and I have a lot of empathy for people. And what we're doing with Black Men Bill isn't black men for black men's sake. It is how do we provide a space for black men to come as they are and grow as they go and uh, for us to be full human beings and for us to acknowledge the ways we've hurt people and acknowledge the ways we've hurt ourselves and frankly, just become super Saiyan. <laughs> like, like, like I, don't, I don't see any limits um, and I'm talking about gender, sexuality. We, we're called black men built for a specific reason, which I kind of alluded to. We're really trying to be clear about who we want, right? You know, not not who maybe even who we are, but who we really want and what we want them to do. We want them to build. Um, but man, if we can do this right and we all talk about it, if we could do this right, and I'm not talking about winning a campaign, it will shift the whole energy, and um, and it will be limitless. And so yeah, I'm really excited about it and. Um, yeah, all of that really was spurred. I think um, COVID was definitely a big, a big, big, big anchor for a lot of it, or the isolation that came from COVID. So, yeah, and um, about me po- posting it, I, I try try not to post too much, but when I do, I try to make it substantive, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of all, uh, I think, qualified as oversharing or a high level of sharing. <laughs> But I think that I have a calling, I have a gift. And it is a certain way that I hope that I'm able to disarm other brothers in, in a way where they, they hopefully see me as strong, but that I don't wanna hurt them and I'm not threatening really their masculinity or anything. And so hopefully me posting those things is a way for other brothers and I've gotten the messages maybe to confirm some of it a way for other brothers to be like yo I'm feeling you 
you know, so really it's for that. Um, it's for that. That's beautiful. It, I feel, I love that you mentioned this is not about winning a campaign, right? This is about transformation. And that as a vision is, is so unique and it's so different than, than the, the quantitative, funder-driven, nonprofit industrial complex mess that sometimes we find ourselves caught up in, right? Mm-hmm. For, mm-hmm. you know, the different reasons. But I appreciate you sharing, kind of just walking me through the sort of timeline and, and like emotional map that has <laughs> supported you in getting to this place, right? And I and like what I'm hearing is that if y'all are able to sow these seeds for other folks, that maybe it won't be, you know, it won't take so much pain and it won't take mm-hmm. loss and it won't take forced um, solitude and that for me, I mean, that's a that's a vision worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Whew. I'm like, you know, you, you're you like I was telling you earlier, I'm a Gemini, so I don't usually get super emotional. But also I'm like really, really feeling everything you're offering. And, and it really feels like it's coming straight from the heart. And I'm grateful for that. I think just to switch gears a little bit, um, you know, I'm hearing you being continuously committed to building projects, to building infrastructure, to building space, right? Um, which as we know is that slow and steady work. And by the time that this comes out in a couple of days, we'll still have a, a week until election day. And similarly, you know, to all of these conversations we've been having, it's, it's the snippets, it's the bite-sized headlines, it is whoever has a blue check and more followers on Twitter that can make the wittier um, condensed opinion is, is who rises to the top. And I, you know, I'm curious how you're interpreting this moment, what you think is necessary that folks here, not just young people, but kind of just our communities, um, to not get caught up in a bit of a haze, right? That I think I have felt overwhelmed with the sort of messages that we're receiving on a, day, a daily basis. Um, but yeah, kind of um, from where you're grounded and rooted from, how are you interpreting where we're at as we head into this election day? What's at stake? What's at stake and what, you know, what are we negotiating? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think, you know, one of my favorite quotes, I'm going to call Cabral and um, I always portray, I am going to get it right one time, but <laughs> he basically says, um, um, you know, claim no easy victories, tell the people no lies. You know, it's our duty to call out lies whenever they are told. Um, I think that's exactly the quote. <laughs> so, so it's something yeah, before yeah. that and after that where he really is like boom, boom, boom. But he, I love that quote because I think it really speaks to this moment. We cannot lie that when you're talking to people as an organizer and you're talking to people wherever they are, it behooves you to say, yeah, this does suck. On both sides, you have what Malcolm X calls a wolf and a fox. Mm -hmm. And yes, we are in a horrible, horrible electoral situation where people of all different political tendencies and classes have to pick one or the other. So I'm in the same political party as Joe Biden, right? Uh, And AOC, 
right? Uh, I'm, I'm in the same political party as Hollywood producers, right? Um, and it's a, it's yeah, that that sucks, and it's not even messy. It's fucking it's too clean, right? Mm-hmm. It's too clean. It's just America, right? Black or white, that does suck. Um, and and we have to at, with the condition what we have before us figure out what is the best way to organize over the next 10 to 20 years and in that way in that way there's no way you can convince me <clears throat> that allowing for what will not be four more years of Trump it'll be four years of things we've never seen before there he, he is a person without precedent meaning he's not even his own precedent he will what will come in the next four years is probably a complete takeover of um, our judicial system lifetime appointments um you know catastrophic effects on the environment etc so you cannot convince me that that provides us with more favorable favorable terrain to fight on and that still sucks because uh you know, on one side is a bell, a, a nail, you know, a bed of nails, um, and maybe the other side is a pile of them. But um, the Democrats and the Democratic Party infrastructure that I think we need to take over, um, if if electoral politics is a part of your strategy, affords us a more favorable terrain to operate on, and we're choosing an opponent, not a champion, and. Um, we got to do what we got to do. We do what we got to do every day. Poor people do what they have to do every single day. Is it the rent or is it the car? Mm-hmm. Is it the gas? Is it the insulin? And so making hard decisions is not uh, a foreign to us. But my brother, my sister, when you're sitting down and you're doing lights or school, you don't say neither. You choose one. Which one do you need the most? Which one do you need right now? Which one is going to allow you to get some space so that maybe you could pay for the school next week? Mm-hmm. And so you just got to do what you got to do. And the question isn't whether our votes mean anything. It's what are we going to do to make them mean something? And that puts the onus back on us. What are the political infrastructures and the organizations that we're going to build that make people afraid to disappoint us, afraid to cross us? Um, afraid not to represent us. So that's that's all we got. We can't lie to people. Joe Biden is just a plum fool. Um, right. And he puts it on display every time that he can. And Kamala Harris is, is really a fraud in a lot of ways. Um, and and, 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 a, and a success in a lot of really bad ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you can acknowledge history. Acknowledge that something is historic without making it um, important, right? Or making it life-changing. And so, yeah, it's historic that we have a, a person of her multitude of ethnicities as potentially, and, and gender potentially, as the vice president of this country. Absolutely, we've seen history, but Hiroshima was history, so. Mm-hmm. This brings up for me the reckoning that I I haven't heard from too many people except folks who identify as leftists and are rooted in some, type, some sort of organizing work. The reckoning of, of the fact that the left 
has not built the power that is necessary um, for some of the demands or for some of, you know, I'll leave it at that. We haven't built the necessary people power, the necessary infrastructure at mass scale to sort of really <coughs> contend with some of these establishment infrastructures and entities, right? Um, I think that's one of the lessons we're taking out of this year. How are you navigating that? Is that something that's coming up for you? Is it coming up in conversations? How people, how are people responding to that? That, that they haven't built the infrastructure? We or that, you know, power. the left, we ain't got the power. <clears throat> I mean, I, 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 I agree with the sentiment. I absolutely agree. Power is, uh, power is an, I'm not talking about absolute power, but power is an absolute thing. You either got it or you don't. And you know when you have it. And most people uh, try to act like they don't know when they don't. Mm. Um, some people try to act like they don't know when they do, and that's dangerous as well. But um, we don't have the power to make these things reality. We don't have the people power. And I think the self-affirming algorithm of social media has intoxicated us to thinking that the world um, agrees with us. And I think the majority or the a sizable um, minority uh, does agree with all of our politics. And um, a gr even greater number agrees with um, our values and our sentiments, if not our politics. They agree with the values. They're just confused about how they make, make them real. Mm -hmm. And if we, if we really recommitted, you know, um, unions, um, you can take some, you can leave some. Um, but if we just really recommitted to that level of uh, intimacy with the people, um, we could really build something. But the majority of the left is now a massive nonprofit mm. and careerist and uh, really just believes in a corporate model of organizing. And um, even to the way we break down our issues, oh, we're a criminal justice organization. And we are an environmental justice organization. And we, you know, it's, you know, we're organizations that want to build a, a new world. And most, and, and I think also the left is responding to McCarthyism, et cetera. People are just scared of acknowledging who they are and what they want. And that fear and ambivalence about um, what we want has also bled over to being fear and ambivalence about uh, how we're going to get it and power and governance. And I think. <clears throat> the left has become enamored with being the outsider, being the counterculture, being the ones being it who are who are empowered by being out of power. And we have to get to a point where we have to say, and we say this within Black Men Bill, we are power hungry. We want power. We want the power to decide what our words look like in real life. And we need to be un unafraid of saying that that power with us will not be hidden. It will be shared, negotiated, um, but it will not be hidden. It will be clear, too. And with the left, just, you know, but, but not all, all, right? Mm -hmm. I think no matter what you think of the different tendencies that they house, DSA is um, every week, every day I'm getting an email from Maria or somebody within DSA about, hey, we're trying to get to 100,000, 100,000 members, yes. and then they did it. Yes. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you know, like to, to I think they have 150,000 members now. That is 
that that is uh, whatever you think about them that is incredibly pow powerful the sunrise movement um, what what dream defenders has done but what they have the potential to do these we have to be committed to saying we command the energy and political vision of 1.5 million people mm -hmm. fuck with us yeah. you know and get with it or get yeah. with it yeah, run, and we're too. I don't want to say we're too nice, <laughs> um, because I could go on a little tangent on that. But no, we're at war, and mm -hmm. some people are enemies, and uh, that requires a different posture for them. I love that you said that because I've I've had conversations, and I think even on the podcast where I say that, hmm. I say the word enemies, mm -hmm. and something about liberalism, uh, d doesn't like that. It doesn't, so yeah. it doesn't, you know, enemies become so absolute in the mind of some people. So I'm like, mm -hmm. well, I don't know. I think the only way that you can interpret that we're not at war, that we don't have enemies is if you lack political clarity or yes. if your assessment is sort of hazed out. But if we're clear about what is going on, I'm like, I wouldn't call these people anything but yes. enemies. Enemies is a, is a nice way to put it. Yes. Right? <sighs> We I fully shit. agree, and and we always also say this: you give people the opportunity to make a choice. Mm. You know, I, I, you know, a black police officer, uh, you're not my enemy. I'm gonna expose you to our politics, expose you to what I think is fundamentally crazy, and to have police, and we're gonna talk about it. And I know you're providing for your family. Um, so, mm. so, but what we're talking about is people who have chosen these people who are making millions of dollars off of the movement and you know these people who are making millions of dollars doing whatever they're doing they ch made a choice and so mm -hmm. you gotta you gotta gotta let hey they wanted to be my enemy i'm yeah. letting them be my yeah, enemy that's where i'm at <laughs> <laughs> so just to wrap up i feel like um you know uh, you offered a lot today um we went a lot of directions but i also feel like there's the the being and the ongoing unfolding of crises sometimes can either propel us or paralyze us mm -hmm. and something that i'm asking folks right now in this moment is what is keeping you in that sort of you know the optimism of the will what's keeping Ooh. you there oh gramsci huh no. yes <laughs> uh i mean uh, I, I i mean one i i do believe in what we're the potential of what we're doing with Black Men Bill, it does feed me and like give me some sort of balance that I'm participating in something that can be good. But also, I am uh, I am as depressive as I could be at some points during this year. Um, I'm positive, like I'm just it's my church upbringing maybe, uh, which is just like you know. The devil can't keep winning you know like <laughs> i don't know it's very it, i don't go and i don't really believe in that stuff anymore but it, it's still in my mind subconsciously like the god god always beats the devil man <laughs> like it just doesn't happen like that way and uh so i just uh my optimism is maybe rooted in that in that kind of funny little uh, bringing peace in that i really believe that justice will prevail goodness prevails and i see it on an everyday basis i literally see it with people that uh that goodness is is if not inherent is something that is so alluring to people and um so intoxicating just to be good and just to 
just to spread goodness to other people and to be fair and to be just and you know hopefully most of us feel sad or shameful when we do a bad thing and I, I, I'm inclined to believe that many people upon knowing that do feel a little bit of, of a way so we can work with that we can work with that that's all we need is a little bit of empathy and uh, and, and people's uh, 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 penchant for joy and uh, and we could we could work with that and that's what I feel I feel very good I, I, this con- conversations like this listening to myself saying these words and knowing that it's real I'm like dang this is cool man I'm moving <laughs> I'm, 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 tr- I'm transforming and uh, so yeah yeah thank you so much for taking time to talk to me and super grateful for you and I'm excited to see how everything all the seeds that you're sowing how they're gonna sort of blossom and flourish yes me too and I know you live close to me I'm not gonna say how close because people might be listening to this but we we should see each other at some point around the the garden I will